Hello everyone and a warm welcome to another episode of Investors Pet Series. My name is Harshil Samani and today we have with us Mr. Anirudh Damani. So just to give you all a brief introduction about Mr. Anirudh, he completed his bachelor's in economics and business administration from the Austin College in the US and post which he has worked in the energy sector for several years in different leadership roles. Later, he came back to India to set up the K. Damani Group's family office called Artha India Ventures. And then in 2018, he established his own institutional fund called Artha Venture Fund, which is raising 200 crores to invest in early stage startups of India. So, welcome Anirudh. Uh, so, my very first question is, since you know you were already working in the energy sector in the US in a leadership role, so, what made you take the plunge as a venture capitalist? Thank you very much for having me on the show, first of all, Harshil. And, uh, you know, thank you everyone for listening in. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so I, I, I took up a very entrepreneurial kind of role, right? I, as a door-to-door salesperson where I started my career uh, and then, you know, working myself all the way up to a, up to the director of sales for that company, I, uh, you know, I was always looking for an opportunity to turn that into something entrepreneurial. And in 2009, uh, in the middle of the, the, you know, the, the Great Recession, the company I was working for had lost uh, the most lucrative contract it had. And we had, we were in a pretty tight spot uh, because, you know, there was no product to sell. Um, so in that moment, there was an opportunity where either the company would shut down uh, and, you know, we'd have to lay off hundreds of employees and, and there would be thousands of people that uh, were very supported you know, through, through these paychecks that would not, not have food on the table. And, uh, you know, I, I think we just took on the responsibility that, you know, my two co-founders and me, we thought that there was still some value in the business. We had uh, some savings uh, from, you know, prudently investing um, our capital. And we just decided that it was probably best time to, to plunge in and, and uh, uh, you know, try to, re- try to reset the business, you know. And it definitely is much easier for a new set of founders to, to uh, you know, uh, restructure a business, then you know the, the founder that that probably got the business into the mess, and uh, and that's what happened, you know. And uh, I, I think when 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 you when you're faced with a tough situation, right, uh, your real character shows up, and that's what happened with us. I think we just we just got into a situation where the, you know our backs were against the wall. There was going to be a lot of our friends, a lot of our you know coworkers who we we had worked with for years uh, would be without a job, without a source of income in the middle of, you know, one of the worst economic recessions at the time, and and therefore, you know, that was the time for us to show up, and that's what we that's what we did. So I guess you have invested in more than eighty startups till today. So I wanted to know which was the very first startup you invested in, and how has your thinking in terms of your investment philosophy changed from then to now? You never forget your first startup, right? That you've invested in. So the first one that, that uh, we invested in was uh, I invested in was a company called United Mobile Apps. Um, very interesting company. I, I think uh, it was also one of the first companies that got written off uh, because the business didn't pan out, uh, unfortunately. But but they were creating a, a unique, uh, you could say, a chip for mobile phone ha- headset uh, handsets, which would allow uh, you know uh, the the telecom networks to um, Distribute, uh, you know, or distribute the data, the 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 network based on the uh, the the quality of data, the quality of data that was required. So what I mean, in a simple sense, what I would say is that 
It would ensure that if you're connected, uh, you would be connected to the 2G, 3G, GSM, and Wi-Fi networks with a hand with a handoff, and you and the chip and the software would decide that if it is which one of these networks would you utilize for the kind of activity that was required. So, for example, if you were trying to do a uh, a phone call, right, instead of using a 3G network, it could also be done most clearly on a 2G or a GSM network, and that's what it would uh, it would get done. And so, if you were using video, then it would, then it would get uh, you utilized with, with 3G network at the time in 2012, uh, or it would then hand it over to the Wi-Fi network. And it was supposed to be a very critical piece of technology when, once 4G started the rollout. And unfortunately, the, the 4G rollout got delayed by a few years, and uh, the company's uh, you know, operating expenses, because the kind of uh, the quality of engineers, the quantity of scientists required for this to happen was too expensive. And, and you know, the two, three year kind of a delay just completely killed uh, any chance of, uh, you know, stay, you know, keeping the company out of bankruptcy and eventually shut, eventually the company shut down. And uh, since, you know, you invest in very early stage startups, so, you know, how much of it is, you know, actually betting on the jockey and how much it is betting on the horse? Well, it depends on the stage of the business, right? Early on, obviously, most of the, the analysis or most of the trust is on the founders of the business, right? The jockey, as you would call that. Uh, and ensuring that they, uh, you know, because you're basically betting on them to execute on on the business plan, right? And execute on this in the space and have the experience uh, to conquer. Uh, and then as the business starts maturing, you know, as obviously you have the team sizes get bigger, right? The reliance on the founders keeps on coming down. And then you start betting more on the business uh, or, or you know, investing more on the promise of the business than you would on the promise of the founders. But I think until the companies reached, you know, uh, the growth rounds, like Series B, C, D uh, kind of rounds. Uh, you know, until that point, you're obviously uh, investing more in the execution capability of the founder than you are on the actual merits of the business. Usually, I think after Series D is when the founder reliance comes down uh, quite significantly. And I had uh, another question. So, as you know, you know, venture debt is quite growing at a quite a good rate right now, and Typically, they invest after a startup has, you know, got a Series A funding and so on, and is sort of operationally profitable. So, what is your opinion on that? Is it a good idea for a startup to offer a venture debt funding just after, let's say, Series A? Uh, so the thing is, you know, venture debt is definitely an important component, especially uh, because you know it it increases the amount of uh, money you need. Uh, or money your, your business can can uh, work with without actually diluting further equity for the founder. Uh, however, you know what 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 also happens is that uh, many of these uh, venture debt rounds are happening uh, alongside Series A rounds. So unless you know, so it, what I would say is that unless the found, the founder should deduct how much he's getting from venture debt from the overall size of the Series A round, it should not be an add-on. Because if it's an add-on, then it's an unnecessary utilization of uh, cash, and he's unnecessarily adding debt onto the books. Uh, so if his requirement for a Series A for 18 months was, let's say, you know, 25 crores, and if he's getting five crores in venture debt, then he should only be raising 20 crore in equity and save the dilution of five crores. It shouldn't be 25 plus five because now you've got you're diluting as much as you're going to dilute in the first case, and then you're also tacking on debt onto the onto the books of the company. So, uh, so if you utilize right, if you if you utilize it in the right manner, uh, to utilizing it more for for you know tidying of working capital kind of needs versus you know investing in long term 
uh, R&D requirements. Now I think R&D should be paid by equity and then you can invest more on the working capital side or marketing side with debt because that immediately gives you a return and you can pay the money back and reduce the interest burden uh, from sales. Uh, I think if you utilize it correctly, venture debt can be a fantastic option. And and, and honestly, Harshal, the, honor, uh, the, the, the requirement of venture debt comes up because uh, Indian banks are unable to write uh, loans based on the promise of a business, right? They're, they're asset-backed uh, financers and are always looking for, you know, physical assets against which to lend, which, you know, is a very archaic way of investing versus, you know, I, I think venture debt firms are, are willing to work on the promise of the business. Obviously, they, they look at the, the Series A investor uh, for assurance, but in, in, in essence, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're a, a much-needed uh, component of the ecosystem. And I, I think as our ecosystem grows, their requirements uh, or will become more and more critical for uh, for large-scale businesses. And so the next question is, you know, how important it is for a startup to keep building their moat at an early stage? Well, it depends upon what kind of moat you are building, right? If mostly uh, the kind of moat you would build uh, as a startup is to become number one or two in your category. Uh, it's a known fact um, that that. 80 to 90% of the venture funding, 80 to 90% of the business, visibility, uh, et cetera, et cetera, all goes to the top two or three companies in the space, right? I think the top company will probably get 50, 60% of the funding, number two will probably get 30%, and then uh, you know, number three will probably get five or 10%. Um, so the real moat is to quickly get out of the blocks and, and you know, sort of cement that number one or two position uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, ensure that you are able to, to maintain that as, as, you know, as competition comes in. So if you look at, uh, even, even the mobility space, you know, you had Ola, you had Uber, you obviously had book my cab, you had a taxi for short, and all these guys, uh, and so, uh, and more, but eventually only two survived, right? Everybody else has become either a fringe player. They've either, either, uh, you know, done an MNA with, with one of the larger guys or they've shut down. Right. And, and I think, uh, that, that is a lesson in itself. You know, if you look at even the hospitality space, we had the same thing. We had Oyo, we had Zorooms, we had Fab, we had Trebo, we had, you know, so many, so many of them. And now there's, you know, if you look at Oyo, that's the number one and the, and, and everybody else is, is in, uh, you know, is in a stagnant state if you really, if you really look at them. So, uh, you know, the way to build a moat as a startup is to cement the number one or two position and, uh, both, both in terms of business and also in terms of the, the PR and branding in that space as early as you can uh, and as quickly as you can. I think that that pretty much cements your uh, mode, at least in the early stages. I learned that your, uh, you know, venture fund is sector agnostic, but is, is are there any particular sectors which excite you the most, you know, in the coming, coming future, which you think will tend to outperform the other sectors? So, uh, honestly, Harshal, while, while you would call it a sector agnostic fund, we, we, I don't believe in sectors, right? I'm, a, I'm a more of a thematic investor. So we are a thematic fund. So we invest in three specific themes. 60% uh, of the fund is allocated towards uh, consumer and consumption related themes with 30%. I mean, half of, of, half of that 60% is uh, for your know, D2C brands, consumer services, consumer goods. I think uh, the confluence of uh, G, you know, GST, cheap internet, and the fact that you know 99% of all zip codes in India received at least one delivery from an e-commerce po e-commerce portal last year. Uh, these are all really good factors to tell you that it, that you know online retail um, or the internet economy is going to grow. In fact, the expectation is going to be as big as 200 billion by 2025. So we 
allocating 30% of the overall fund towards the consumer related themes uh, what we call consumption related themes and then we allocating the the second part of that 60% or 30% of the overall fund towards uh, anything that enables consumption right so that that any simple online transaction you buying let's say a uh, a, a mobile phone from flipkart or from amazon you know it may just seem like a very simple transaction but there's an entire ecosystem on the back end of that that gets activated so you know everything from the fintech phone that uh, the fintech ecosystem you utilize to pay for the phone whether it was on, was it on emi was it you know a cash on delivery uh, to all, all the way down to you know the person delivering the phone to you and that email you get for the review all of that is an ecosystem the packaging company the logistics companies so we want want to invest into into that ecosystem into this ecosystem place that are um, you know making it easier for consumers to consume so 30% of the fund is allocated towards that and the remaining 40% is on the b2b uh, front right so we we believe in you know we've already seen that indian b2b companies especially b2b saas companies are doing extremely well uh, you know uh, because globally uh, they can, they make their their revenues in dollars but their, their expenses are pretty much in india and indian engineers are now known across the world for creating fantastic uh, you know pieces of technology uh, and uh, you know we power most of the world's banking systems our engineers are doing most of that even today so when they create these b2b saas platforms right they uh, you know they uh, they have fantastic uh, margins and i think uh, we we continue to believe and invest in those plays i've done that personally for many years and 40% of our fund is allocated towards that so my next question is how you know fintech has uh, revolutionized the way banking and all financial transactions are done in china specifically with the help of alipay wechat so do you think something like that is possible in india where we use alternate data sources i know many startups are already working towards that but do you think that we can achieve the scale and the success to the likes of you know alipay or wechat i believe we already are uh, the see the, the thing is again uh, when i come back to the banking system here right um, in india the banking system has is heavily regulated again looks more towards asset based financing so that so one of the things holding back the india is that you know even as a country after almost 30 years now of liberalization we only have uh, 3 crore people that actually hold a credit card in india this 5.8 crore credit card but unique number of u- users is probably 3 crore 3 crore credit cards in a country of 120 crore people right now compare that to the us where a country of 30 crore people has 180 credit card 180 crore credit card so the average in the us is 6 credit cards per person while in india the average is more like uh, 40 people per credit card right so the, the 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 opportunity is huge right and uh, and banks are just unable to underwrite uh, the indian consumer and, and i think it's holding india back because if you look at the indian economy 60% of our gdp comes from consumption and consumer i mean from domestic consumption we're not an export oriented ex- economy like china but however our credit card penetration our our debt penetration is extremely low our, our, if you look at the entire country's gdp uh you know the household debt to gdp in india is close to 11% 11% you compare that to china they are almost they are almost at 50% us is at 75% so imagine the opportunity to lend to the indian consumer and once you start lending to the consumer that's going to lead to an explosion in the consumer market right i mean uh, recently amazon pay 
launched that Amazon Pay Later service, and on the day one of their uh, of 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 their Great Indian Sale, they lent 600 crore rupees in a single day. All of that went into consuming stuff on Amazon itself. And that's the biggest example of the kind of pent up credit demand that is there there in 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 our society. Uh, therefore, you know, I think Indian fintech firms are coming in. I think that sector is opening up. Uh, the the RBI is encouraging P2P lending platforms, is encouraging alternative lending platforms to come in and fill in the gap which the banking system is unable to, the NBFCs are unable to, and I, I and I think we're on the right track. It's going to take some time, but you're going to see multiple Alipay's created in India because you know one of the good things about the Indian banking ecosystem, you know, while I continue to be quite negative about it. is that uh, you know the banking ecosystem ecosystem in india is very strong right independent it's 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 much it's not uh, uh, controlled by the political class and and that ensures that our banks are are nice liquid uh, strong with strong financial health right um, uh, like an hdfc like your uh, you know indescent bank and things like that so in the in the whole sense i mean in india's fintech opportunity is massive it is growing it is you know we're only scratching the surface and i would imagine in the next 10 years with support from the rbi with the way consumption is growing with the way the entire entire internet economy is taken off uh you know you're going to see much bigger fintech players coming in and it's already happening it's just a matter of time so the next question is you know more towards amazon and how this uh, cornering every industry every sector across the world so just recently i think so they are starting off with uh, pharmacy in india too so you know how can startups who are at an early stage counter this fear of you know amazon entering their sector their industry and disrupting everything uh, there's nothing to fear in uh, you know amazon is amazon because it also has the courage to make the most number of experiments right and the most number of mistakes i mean everybody remembers the amazon phone or maybe you don't but it was a massive colossal failure right uh, and, and so amazon is very sad because it keeps experimenting in different spaces i mean aws was supposed to be an experiment look and today it, it almost 75% of amazon's uh, revenues come from you know aws so i i think as a startup you know you shouldn't you shouldn't fear amazon right i i think the important part again is is can you be number one or two in your space right? and how do you cement that position amazon entering into a, your space could actually validate the position even better and it'll take some time before you know amazon becomes large enough right it's not it's not like amazon entering pharmacy is going to make pharmacy go out of business right away right pharmacy still has the opportunity to innovate to out innovate uh, amazon i mean amazon entered the mobile phone space after apple and today apple and amazon are, are you know almost neck to neck in terms of valuation right so obviously they could not knock off apple from uh, its perch uh, because apple kept innovating and kept building a stronger and stronger ecosystem uh, i mean same thing to founders right i think it's instead of getting scared about amazon entering your space you know amazon entering your space only validates the f- space further and it actually might even open up funding opportunities and and you know being, the ability to raise larger rounds uh, to compete uh, with amazon Okay. Okay, that's great. So you know, while any startup is pitching to you, so what are the top three things you look into their business model that they are non-negotiable for you? We evaluate every, I think, startup on on a, on four principles, right? I think we love first of all startups that are solving a real human problem, right? Uh, we we love we love to invest in businesses which are need to have and not good to have kind of things, right? So. 
I think that's the first thing we want to know that whichever customer segment or whichever customer the uh, startup intends to uh, service, you know, are, are you, is that a need to have service, right? Is that something that the customer is going to keep coming back and, and, and wanting more and more of, right? Second, we want to see unit economics, right? We want to see positive unit economics because when you're scaling, uh, you want to scale positive unit economics because if you are scaling on negative unit economics, it means the larger you get, the more losses you're making. Uh, and that doesn't, that makes no, no business sense at all, right? And third, we, we like to see businesses that are using technology as an enabler, right? Uh, you know, so deep tech, high tech companies usually take a lot longer to uh, deliver positive results, but companies that are um, taking, uh, you know, uh, what may seem like age old businesses, but they're utilizing technology to completely revamp the space, create, you know, blue oceans and probably what looks like red seas. Uh, those are the kind of businesses that, that you know, do extremely well. Like look at Oyo, right? Took a completely fragmented ecosystem and created, created a, uh, a budget brand, which is now, you know, one of the largest hotel brands in the world. Uh, I think those kind of spaces, but what, what they did was they were using technology uh, to put all these hotels on a single platform and, and make it easy for people to book. And, and I think that's the kind of stuff that that gets us excited it gets Vinod and I out of bed and if you have to add a fourth point I think uh, we we love to see businesses where there are moats and we talked about it a little bit earlier like we like to see businesses where they use their scale their ability to to grow quickly as a moat and they can cement that number one or two position uh, in their category that 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 I think these four things are the primary thing primary um, uh, you know, uh, principles, the primary uh, requirements for us when we are talking to founders and evaluating them for investments. So the next question is, when do you think that this is the right time to exit your investment in a startup? Is it, you know, when you achieve a particular IRR or a multiple which you have set in mind or how does that work? So honestly, I, I want to hold on to a startup as long as possible because, uh, you know, the longer you hold on to a winning company, the obviously the larger multiples you make on that investment. So we don't, while we want to know what the exit strategy for a business is going to be, we don't want to exit businesses unless we absolutely have to. Now, what would be the scenarios in which we have to, right? So first would be if, if, if we realize that the business plan is just not working out, right? Or, or, or we're having differences with the founder. So usually in that case, either the founder does a founder buyback or, you know, we find uh, another investor to take over our position. And because we'd rather not be invested in a company where, uh, you know, you don't want to stay in someone's house if you're not welcome. So similarly, you don't want to be on the cap table uh, where the founder doesn't find value in you, right? Uh, but secondly, we also would be looking at exiting companies if we feel that they, are, they would be unable to cement the number one or two position, right? And therefore... If they uh, merged with a larger player and became number one or two, it would probably be better. So there's, so recently, a lot of the uh, companies that, that uh, we exited uh, through acquisitions were plays where, you know, merging with the larger company or merging with a particular uh, player in, in, the, in their industry would cement the number one, number one or two position. And usually in that case, either we get equity in the new company or we're taking a cash exit. Uh, but that drives a lot of the exit, uh, if you know, uh, decision making, especially nowadays, because you can see a lot more Indian corporates are willing to uh, acquire companies, right? If, if you're talking about Tata's looking at acquiring Big Basket or Reliance looking at acquiring, you know, uh, Urban Ladder and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and the third situation is when the company is doing extremely well, you know, it is a number one or two position player in, in the industry, in their, in their category. 
then what really drives our exit decision and again it's it's not an exact science as you would call it but just in terms of what we are thinking is if once, once we start getting into a very minority kind of a position where we start losing a number of our rights we start losing uh, you know the ability to to uh, work with the founder on a close basis i think that's the time we realize that we are now no longer uh, able to uh, influence right because you invest in startups because you can sort of influence the result right and if we feel we're not unable to influence the results anymore then that's probably a good time for us to exit because if we have to be a passive investor in a unlisted company uh, then i believe we would be making much better returns for us and for our investors as being passive investors in a public listed company right because the position is the same just one, in one i can press a button and sell my entire position in the other one i have to keep waiting keep waiting for other investors to grow my position so i think those uh, a little bit long winded answer for you harshal but you know exits are not uh, are are just like early stage valuations are an art so is uh, getting exits so uh, but that's the way we think about it okay so now coming to the last question to the listeners of this pod- podcast i don't know how many of you already know about shomidamani.com website so this is the website where anirudh constantly gives us insights on the venture capital industry about startups and everything so i want to know what motivates you the most anirudh to you know constantly write day in day out on your linkedin and on the website because i think so you are one of the very few people who gives so so much of insights about the industry i i think we're you know there is a lot of people by the way and i can talk about sanjay mehta there's uh, you know a lot of us that want to positively contribute to the ecosystem because growing this ecosystem is eventually the objective of all uh, venture investors right because i, I think india is just catching the surface today in what the size of the ecosystem could be and i think we can be much larger probably larger than the us ecosystem in the in in the future and for that to happen you know because our education system is not created or is not built to create entrepreneurs right we 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 are built to work for other companies so how do you impart that difference in education you know that that between what the schools teach you and what actually happens in business i think that's that's the difference that i write about quite honestly i'm not trying to teach theory right i i think the professors in in the iit iim the the isbs they do already do a fantastic job what what we're looking at what i am at least looking at filling in is if i minus whatever is taught in colleges and what actually happens in business the way i have learned it that's what i write about and that's what that's what guides a lot of the blogs that come out right that from, from me that you know like this is the gap that needs to get filled um, and and that motivates me every single morning because there's just so much to talk about you know entrepreneurship is such an amazing subject because uh you know many a times you can you can contradict yourself but it could still apply it could still apply because the two situations you're talking about are extremely different right every single business is different it's it's like you know every single business has its own dna and and what what advice you give to one business at one particular point of time may not apply to a different business at that same particular point in time in their history and it isn't that I mean, an amazing amount of content to write about and i think it just it just you know motivates me to write every single day i i haven't been as regular this year uh due to certain uh, time constraints but i am uh, you know putting together a a amalgamation of all of the stuff that i have uh, talked about and would like to talk about 
and uh, there'll be something exciting coming for uh, for everybody and the ecosystem in a short while thank you so much anirudh for talking to us today it was really great knowing some insights from you thank you harshal and and you know just to all the listeners in case there is any questions for me you can always uh, log into www.showmethemoney which is s h o w m e d a m a n i .com forward slash ama and uh, just post your question over there and my uh, you know my team and i will will look at answering that as uh, as soon as we can thank you very much for taking out the time harshal once again and thank you everyone for listening uh, to our conversation